I think it was like an early example of a thing a lot of girls have to get good at early on if they are to enjoy and engage with a lot of art, which is to be able to find themselves in shitty men. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be talking about Weezer, their career, their influence. And uh, I guess we're not talking about the new record. There was a record that came out on Friday called Pacific Daydream. And uh, at the time that I'm recording this podcast, I, I've only heard half the record. And uh, it sounds all right. <laughs> it sounds pretty good. You know, I feel like uh, Weezer's been on a mini renaissance the last couple of years. You know, they put out that record in 2014, Everything Will Be All Right in the End, which was a very self-conscious return to form. I think there's a song on there where they talk about how we're going to play rock music again. <laughs> it's like they're literally saying that in, in, uh, on that record. Uh, and then they put out a record in 2016 called The White Album, or it's another self-titled titled Weezer record. And that's a record I like a lot. I mean, I think half of that record, at least, is, is really good. And then Pacific Daydream, coming out now. That seems like a good record, too. But we're not going to be talking about those records. We're going to be focusing on the early era of Weezer. The Blue Album, Pinkerton, The Green Album, Maladroit. A little bit of make-believe, but really those first four records. And uh, my guest today, the person who will be joining me as we delve into the history of Weezer, is Emily Yoshida. She is the film critic over at Vulture slash New York Magazine. Uh, I used to work with Emily at Grantland. Man, I guess that was like three years ago at this point. Man, that seems like, doesn't seem like that long ago. But at any rate, Emily is a super smart writer, a really good critic, Um, And I know that she was a huge Weezer fan growing up, so uh, I thought she'd be a great person to talk to for this episode, and lo and behold, she was. We got into it. One thing that we explore in this episode is sort of the dichotomy between men and women listening to Weezer. I feel like that is an interesting wrinkle about this band, because unlike a lot of 90s rock bands, there's a strong core of female fans that were into Weezer back then. Uh, There weren't a ton of female fans that were into Alice in Chains, or Soundgarden, necessarily. I mean, they were, they're out there, of course, but those are generally dude bands. Like, the grunge bands were, were very male-oriented. But Weezer has always had a strong appeal to, to female listeners, even though Rivers Cuomo, on those early records, he, he's sort of a dark and twisted guy when it comes to relationships. Let's put it that way. Some of the songs on those records are not necessarily progressive in uh, terms of... Uh, the male-female relationships, but I want to talk to Emily about that. What's like hearing those songs as a woman versus like how I heard those songs as a young boy. Um, and we had a really good conversation about that as well as other things pertaining to Weezer. So if you are into Weezer, if you had a Weezer phase, I think you're going to have uh, a good time listening to this uh, episode. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week, and that is our friends at ZipRecruiter. Are you in need of great talent for your business, but are you short on time? Well, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now, for my listeners, I have a special deal. If you go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash celebration, you can post your jobs to the site for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration one more time. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration to get started finding the employee of your dreams. All right, so Emily and I, we delved into Weezer, talked about it all, talked about the Blue Album, Pinkerton, especially those two albums. I think, you know, even now, those are the records that people care about the most. (laughs) And those are the albums we talked about the most in this episode. Uh, So without further ado, here is me and Emily Yoshida talking about Weezer. So Emily, it's exciting to talk to you. We are yeah. actually like former coworkers, even though we were never actually like in the same office. It was like 2,000 miles apart or so. 
But we're modern day uh, long distance coworkers. Exactly, and we both worked at Grantland, and you know, in a way, I feel like we're. I would assume this is sort of like two veterans talking that were fought in the same war. You know, even if they weren't in the same <laughs> platoon, they still have like they, they they were still World War II together, so they have that. Like uh, yeah, I mean, I I will you know my caveat is always that I I left before the most dramatic time to be at Grayland. Um but you you also left before the, the 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 bitter end, right? Oh no, I was there. Oh no, you were there. Okay, you yeah. were there, but like also in quotes, so it's even weirder because. You're like getting the like not only getting news from like you know the weird layer of remu- remove of Grantland within ESPN, but also like long distance at the same time. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, when did you leave? I left uh, in 2014. Um, okay. About a year out from from the end. So you had like a people sec- always asked if I had like some kind of premonition. I was like, no, I did not. <laughs> well, yeah, I it mean, it was still pretty okay. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I mean, the way I like in uh, the, the analogy I make with like those last five months of Grantland it, it was that it was like Iraq after Saddam Hussein was ousted, you know, like oh my God. the guy, who, <laughs> you know, this, the figurehead, the guy who kept, uh, and of course, because, you know, Bill Simmons left at the end. And after he left, it was just this vacuum of chaos and like yeah. different tribes going on. And it was, it was bad. It was bad at the end. Overall, it was good but the ending was really bad. So yeah, I've heard many people's war stories from that. I, I remember feeling like perversely a sense of FOMO for missing out on it. Cause I was like, everybody's having a bad time without me. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm also, I understand it was no fun at all. So, yeah. So like if, if someone called you up or they emailed you and they said, Hey, I'm from Deadspin or I'm from wherever I'm, we're awful announcing and I'm doing a oral history of Grantland. Like, do you participate or do you ignore that email? Um, I have been asked uh, a couple times to comment on either something, something about the history of Grantland or um, something about our, our, our previous boss. Um, I always decline. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've moved on. <laughs> Even if so many people have not, like I swear to God, any, any single time I'm, on Twitter, like talking to Molly or Tess, there's like five messages underneath that are like "girls and hoodies," bring back girls and hoodies, which is our podcast that we had at Grantland and appears to have been our greatest legacy there. So I'm I'm happy I could have given people that, but also I feel like it was a zillion years ago. So I don't know. See, I, I would want to know who else was participating and what they said, and if it was you know if if enough other people <laughs> were talking, then I'd say yes, then I will talk. Otherwise, I, I don't want to be the only one who says anything. You know, it has to be like everyone yeah. or no one at that point. You know, oh, but man. I feel like, but I think you're right. I mean, I feel like the world has probably moved on. You know, there's so many websites Some that have come and haven't. gone. Some people really have it. I mean, and I wasn't even in the thick of the like sports side of it, but I feel like some people really hang on to that memory. I was a big Girls with Hoodies fan. I'm the producer here and I, I have moved on. Sorry. I miss you guys. <laughs> Wish you did it again. No, okay. I run into them into the in the wild every once in a while. It's always really sweet. Um, and it always makes me sad that I'm not still doing a podcast with them. But I almost feel like that was separate by the end from like my experience. Like it was like a little like treehouse we created within Grantland. So are you doing and, a- and Grantland already being a treehouse in itself kind of as <laughs> a sub treehouse inside the big treehouse. Yeah. Um, are you doing a podcast right now? I am not. You got, I just are there, are sorry, there like too many? Like I feel like this should be a train that you're on right now. I feel like the you know Yeah, I I I'm working on it. Uh I I had a podcast for a little bit at the beginning of the year um that was about anime and it was called It's Cool to Like Anime. There were a grand total of maybe eight or nine episodes I think that I made. Um, but I was self-producing it and, you know, self-releasing. It was when I was I was freelancing at the time, so I had the time for that kind of thing. And then um, pretty quickly I got this job at Vulture. So uh, spending and, of course, you know, I was like, oh, I'll just edit it myself. It won't take any time. And then I realized, oh, no, this is exactly the kind of thing I get obsessive about. Um, and would take, you know, two days to edit an episode. So there was no longer time for that. But I, it's not that I don't like doing podcasts. And I think it's like, I miss it a lot, especially like times like right now where there, you know, there's an ongoing story uh, that everybody is talking about. And I don't necessarily like want to write something definitive 
about say like Harvey Weinstein or anything else, but it's a like it, it it's a good format to like you know shoot around thoughts about in a in a more casual setting, and I do miss it for that. And and talking is so much more fun too than writing. Like if you can just talk about something uh, and not yes. have to write about it, it's like oh this is the this is the best of both worlds. Yeah, I always feel like people who. I've mostly emailed with, and you can probably speak to this as well. I'm like the worst email in the world. And then I'm on a podcast and it's like, oh, communication is fun and great. I love talking to people. I just hate being on the computer. <laughs> right. The mechanical aspect of like talking through your fingers is like a real drag yes. sometimes. So if you can cut out the middle man being your hands, then it can be really nice. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about Weezer. Get to the task. Let's talk about Weezer. Oh my God. An abrupt segue here. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this because I know that you went through an intense Weezer period in your teens. Yes. And I don't know if it extended beyond that. And I had a similar thing. And I I feel like a lot of people, when they're that age, they connect with this band. Um, how about now? I mean, there's a new record coming out. I guess it'll, it, it, it will have been out a few days by the time this podcast posts. It's called Pacific Daydream. At this point, like when Weezer does something, is it sort of like, oh, it's like an old friend posting something on Facebook or something? Like, are you kind of curious still or are they just I beyond? think the first few times out, like I would say, I would say even to like Red Album, I was still like, oh, new Weezer album, must check this out and see. And then, you know, kind of feel a little bit let down. I think I told you, like, I think the last one I bought was Maladroit. Um, but I think the last one that I was like, Weezer album, like, you know, antenna prick up, like, you know, I go back to my teenage self for a second. Um, but that was what, like, that was like late 2000s or something, yeah. or maybe even earlier. I don't remember. Yeah, Red I just Album. remember Pork and Beans, which I still think kind of, that's a good song. Uh, that's a inexplicably great song in the middle of a lot of not so great songs. But um, but yeah, now, I mean, I feel like, didn't they just put in an album last year? Now I'm on the thing, now I'm in the boring professional world of it where like I get, like they've become a part of my email life now because I get emails about Weezer stuff. And so it's not, it kind of has lost any, any mystique it even had a chance of having. Cause I'm just like, Oh yeah. I've been, yeah. Like when you told me, Oh, do you want to talk about the Weezer album? I was like, Oh yeah. The thing from my emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They've had you like know? a mini Renaissance, I would say in the last couple of years where they're back to putting out albums every year or every other year. And they've been like pretty yeah. solid. Like there was a record that came out in 2014 called, Everything will be all right in the end, which was sort of a self-conscious yep. return to form. And then the White Album came out last year, in, uh, like in the spring. And that was actually like probably the first Weezer album in a long time that I liked. And then there's really? this new record coming out. So yeah, they've had like three records in the last like four years or so. Um, and they seem to be kind of going back to that core fan base you know people who i guess are now like in their late 30s early 40s or so people that love well, them are in the they, 90s. from what i listened to of the new album which i i just listened to some of the singles off of it um it sounds like foster the people or something it doesn't sound like like i don't know i didn't listen to a white album at all like and i was literally like going back down memory lane and listening to some of red album and then skipped ahead to these singles that have just come up out and, out and I was like, what happened in between? Like I seriously missed something. Uh, I missed some chapter well, transitional I'm, chapter. I mean, I would say that in comparison to what they were doing around like you were saying, you kind of dropped off around the red album. And then after that, you get into like Ratitude and records yes. like that where they're just, where Rivers Cuomo is going straight on to like top 40 pop type stuff. And then like writing songs yeah. about like hot moms and things like that. Um, <laughs> just like really where, I mean, there's this, and we'll probably get into this, but there's always this thing with Rivers Cuomo about, is he being ironic or is he just so like bizarre that he actually likes this kind of stuff? Uh, that was a real period where I think people felt like he had kind of gone off the deep end. And then yeah. lately, it seems like he's been trying to thread the needle a little bit more, putting some kind of heavy guitar stuff on, but then also indulging his pop side. I mean, because I think he does yeah. legitimately, he loves pop music. I think he still listens to the radio a lot, and I think that it still informs his songwriting. 
Um, but well, he, he's one of the best pop songwriters. Of the, if you just count those first two, and yes, even three albums, like I still feel like that's a very strong catalog to like put him in the the pantheon of great pop writers of the last like thirty years or something. Well, let's let's go back to those albums. Like, tell me, uh, like, when did you first encounter Weezer, and what was it about them that like drew you in? Um, Oh, I, I know. I, I mean, I remember hearing the Blue Album for the first time so vividly. Uh, my friend had brought it over. I mean, this is and I got into it late. Like it was several years after it had come out. I think it was several years or several years after Pinker did it come out. It was like during the lull um, when nobody knew, I guess, if they were going to put out another album. It's like 98, um, 99 around there. Yeah, 99 or 2000 or something. Yeah. Okay. And I remember my friend brought over Blue Album on CD and we were listening to it. She was sleeping over and, um, we were, we were listening to it. It was like, you know, pretty late at night. And I, I guess I just like, wasn't listening to stuff that just was like that kind of like chugging rhythm guitar of that volume. Cause it woke up my mom and she was like, you know, you have to turn it down. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm playing rock and roll music like loud enough to piss off my mom. Like I must really be in a rebellious phase right now. Were you in middle um, school at this I mean, point? Like how old were you at this point? Oh, what? Sorry. Like, how old were you at this point? Like, were you in middle school or high school? I was, I think I was a freshman in high school. Okay. Yeah. I was like, th- I was always a year younger. So I would have been like thir- 14, I guess. Okay. So perfect yeah. age, perfect age to hear that record. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I was late, but I was right on time for myself personally. So yeah. <laughs> right. And, and um, so you like the chugging guitar. Like what else was it about Weezer that, that you loved? I, I love and I still love, uh, despite everything, I love Rivers Cuomo's voice. I think he has one of the most, I don't know, just like expressive, for me, very like uh, empathizable voices. He's also, um, as I later learned once I was able to drive and, you know, uh, record CDs to tapes and play them in my car and sing along to them, he, we have the same vocal range. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's very easy for me to sing along to, to Weezer songs, which is like a lot of the fun of them. Um, I there, yeah. I mean, they were just like they were rock songs that didn't feel intimidating to me as like a you know early teenage girl. Um, I you know I'm not going to try to pretend that I was like some kind of like hardcore teen and was like always into heavy metal or whatever. I was not like I and this is pre like. I feel like this is the same time I was also like into Bell and Sebastian. Like that was what, that's what else was going on in my, my life as far as taste that I like kept for a long time. So, you know, <laughs> I was a little softy, but there was something about, there was something about, um, Blue Album especially. And then, you know, I very quickly like got into Pinkerton, um, particularly because somebody told me, oh, there's a song about half Japanese girls in it. And me being a half Japanese girl, I just felt like I didn't, I couldn't process that it was, uh, that it was like kind of weird or gross at all. I was just like, oh my God, I feel so seen. Um, well, that whole album, I mean, there's references to half Japanese girls throughout that record. I mean, it's almost like a concept of that record. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, and, and looking back now, it feels like more of a problem at the time. I just thought it was kind of like, you know, it, it felt very, uh, I've never heard, I never, you know, I've never heard in any pop culture, much less in a rock song, like somebody talking about a half Japanese girl before. So it felt very, uh, I don't know. It, it, it felt specific and nerdy in a way that I, I guess I, I took to, um, yeah. And I mean, and then that was, and then that was also when I just started to get like into kind of sec, I guess it would be second wave emo music in general. So it fit in very nicely with all that stuff. Uh, you know, I was listening to like Jimmy Eat World and Get Up Kids and the Ataris, stuff like that. Um, and it, it, yeah, I just started to just get very into all these sad boys singing about their feelings and, and doing very like light and accessible shredding. Um, like, like, yeah. wait. I want to circle back to something you said before about you said, you know, being like a 14 year old girl at the time that Weezer was maybe more approachable in a way than a lot of other rock bands because that echoes something that I've heard from women like throughout my life talking about Weezer Yeah, and Weezer I feel like unlike a lot of 90s rock bands has always had like a a pretty sizable like female fan base like there's not a lot there's not a ton of women 
that are into like Soundgarden or you know Pearl Jam or something. I mean, there there are lots of there are there are female fans, but like it, it doesn't seem as as big of a part of the fan base maybe as it is with Weezer. Um, well, and also when when you get into something at that age, you have a much more of a strong connection to it. So there could be like adult fans of some of those bands who got it into like later in life, but I feel like there is something very teenage girl approachable about those early Weezer albums that, that, uh, I don't know. It, it, it creates a, a lifelong relationship with the band as opposed to like getting into them later on. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to me cause I think like Rivers Cuomo, I could see the appeal that he would have uh, to a female audience, like it's particularly like a young female audience. But at the same time, you know, there is, you know, if I can use this word problematic aspects to Weezer songs on those first couple records. I remember like we did that uh, uh, feature on the Blue Album on Grantland yes. that I think that you were in charge of. And you wrote I about, was. Yeah, and you wrote about the song No One Else on that record. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and I, it just fascinates me because I think Weezer is a good case study in how men and women can listen to the same band and take different things from it. Um, yeah. Because... Like I know when I heard when I would listen to No One Else as like a sixteen year old, I always took it as like a joke song that he was making fun of sort of a chauvinistic man. Hmm. But now when I look back on it with some perspective, um, you kind of realize that like sort of the nice guy pose that maybe Rivers Cuomo had, the sensitive boy thing, is a shield and it's a way to kind of mask how much he was actually the guy in no one else, like how it wasn't as ironic maybe as it was presented. And I think, oh, that's, yeah. and I think that's also true for a lot of the men that listen to that. I think for me listening to it, you, I could laugh at a song like that as a 16 year old and feel like I was a nice guy. But like looking back on myself at that age, I don't, I think I actually wanted a girl that would only laugh at my jokes. You know, or who would like you yeah. know, just be into me. I mean, to me, what that song is ultimately about is insecurity, like male insecurity and how that kind of manifests itself in being like a monstrous person, you know, being yeah. a possessive person. Like, as a girl, as like a 14 year old girl listening to that, like, what was your impression of that? Of I mean, like I that? think I wrote about this on, I, I, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and see what I wrote. But I mean, what I. I mean, it's it's a running theme also with a lot of those, you know, those emo bands that I was liking at the time, too, which are very, you know, passive aggressive and angry at women who, you know, won't give them the time of day who deign to like ignore them. It's just like the, the biggest wound in the world. Um, and, you know, I think I remember at some point later on hearing that like an older sister of one of my friends had done a paper about how, um, I don't know, it sounded like it was probably like where the girls aren't like the equivalent of that. Um, just about, you know, the, the kind of the sexism that is in this music that so many girls do like and listen to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was like an early example of a thing that I think a lot of girls have to get good at early on if they are to enjoy and engage with, a lot of art, which is to be able to find themselves in shitty men, <laughs> which is something I've been, I've been thinking about a lot recently also. Um, but you know, like, I mean, I remember, this is the thing I always think of now, but like when I used to do girls in hoodies with Tessa Molly and like, and Tess would always say like, I am Tony Soprano, like that is me. And, and that's like a kind of, um, like being able to see yourself in somebody who doesn't look anything like you, who's not your same gender, who like has a completely different upbringing, who behaves in ways that you have not behaved, but like still be able to imagine yourself um, in that, like, you know, it, yeah, imagine yourself inhabiting that kind of emotional space. Um, I think, I, I mean, I, I feel like I both listen to that kind of, you know, wanting to both, both imagining myself as the girl that he's singing about and as him at the same time, which is like, I think a, like I, I continued to like engage with music and, and movies and stuff like that for a long time afterwards. Um, yeah. And you know, being a teenager is hard and you get angry sometimes. <laughs> See, I mean, I, I think that's really interesting because I think most young boys would listen to Weezer and just relate to the guy. 
like they would not relate yeah. to the to the girl in the song but you were saying like when you listen to those it's like oh, i can see aspects of myself and the, the, yeah the narrator i mean and also he's talking about i the other thing is that, like i just feel like this is all stuff that we know so well now is that like nerdiness is like totally a mask for much uglier things i feel like that's bore itself out in many areas of our culture um and so now it's like less fun it doesn't feel as benign anymore and a lot of that like emo music doesn't feel as benign but at a certain point like your own nostalgia overrides a lot of stuff and you just understand that it's like a part of your your personal history but yeah uh I don't know. I mean, I I definitely never felt like it was a joke. I will say that. But I was a very earnest young person, so. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and I'm just wondering if, you know, because my friends and I, I, you know, I remember like when Weezer, like you, you made reference to that hiatus that they went on in the late 90s. You know, they put out the Blue Album in 94, Pinkerton's in 96. Then there's like a four-year gap where Rivers Cuomo goes to Harvard and he also has mm-hmm. surgery to me. Yeah, he has his knee. He has his. He has he, one of his legs was longer than the other one, or something, and he had surgery to correct that. Which is like a great man. Like that just adds to the uh-huh. Weezer myth right there that he had to. But that's what the good life is about, right? Uh, yeah, because well, he had like he did have a cane. <laughs> did he have? Did he really have a cane? Apparently, yeah. Um, I think I remember this from when I used to. Uh, frequent the Weezer message, the official Weezer message board. Uh, yeah. So there's that four year gap and that's when sort of the legend of Pinkerton starts to be created and they become this emo touchstone band that in my memory, you know, hearing those records as they were coming out, like Weezer wasn't really considered that kind of band. Like at at the time, my memory is that they were this sort of, not a joke band, but that they were this sort of happy-go-lucky fun band, that they were an alternative to alternative music, like the the, the dark, yeah. gloomy kind of grunge stuff. And the Blue Album, when it came out, was this, it was sort of like a breath of fresh air, like, oh, these are just fun songs. And uh, the darkness and that, that existed in them didn't necessarily manifest it, it themselves right away. Like, it, they just seemed so effervescent in a way. At least to me, anyway. I read them on a very superficial level, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember hearing, and this is like the beginning of me reading any kind of music criticism or journalism, too, and hearing the term post-grunge used for it, <laughs> which I still don't really know what that means, but I know that, that people called Weezer post-grunge. So um, I guess that sort of may... I mean, like it's like a lot of similar textures. It's just like poppy. Right. Um, well, and I think also, I know. you know, it came out after... I don't know the exact chronology, but you know, Kurt Cobain died in '94, and that's when the Blue Album comes yeah. out. And I feel like that, and also that was also around the time that Britpop started to become a thing. It was all of this music coming in that was that seemed at least superficially sunnier and more pop-oriented after this sort of stretch of like very kind of heroin-oriented rock music that had been popular yeah. for a while. Um, where do you come in on the Blue Album versus Pinkerton? Uh, debate like which one do you, uh, would you say you prefer or do you like them both equally I was a um I was a Pinkerton person for many many years now I feel like I like them about equally you definitely hear the blue album more in the wild or at karaoke or whatever <laughs> um so it helps like you know you have an ongoing relationship with that music I mean I still feel like I probably hear the sweater song like at least a few times a year whereas you know, I have to actually like elect to sit down and listen to Pinkerton, um, which I don't know the last time I have. I, I, I think that there are like maybe I'm trying to think if there are any skip songs for me on either of those. Now, um, I probably I do kind of skip Pink Triangle. Um, I think that's the only one I ever do. Um but I also don't really listen. I don't, I'm one of those people who does not really care for only in dreams, which is like, that is like a half hour album. And so that's like what a third of it. Um, (laughs) so, uh, that kind of considerably, uh, takes down blue album, but I had a much more relationship, uh, much more emotional relationship with Pinkerton. So I do feel like those songs maybe have a, a closer place in my heart, even if I don't think the album is technically better. I don't know. 
And what was the... But I like it the same. <laughs> like, what was the crux of your emotional relationship with, with Pinkerton? Like, how did you connect with that intensely? Uh, <laughs> Do you want to get into this on a pod? Is this like too... Uh, well, no, I'm just thinking it's like it starts with a song called Tired of Sex, which is just like, <laughs> it's like a freshman in high school. Um, I, I, you know, you know what, actually, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to avoid this question. But I, I, I mean, I, I can come back to it. But like um, one, a Weezer album, and I say this in air quotes that you can't see that I liked um, probably um, if not as much as. Yeah, I, I mean, I probably liked it almost as much as like this um, CD, this burn CD that was passed around at my high school of all of their B-sides and a few bootleg recordings and stuff. Um, it was like 20 tracks or however, you know, it was like at capacity on the CD. And so all, you know, all my friends had a copy of this. Nobody knew the origin of it. It was just this thing that went around. Um, and that had like, it had all those like in-between songs. So it had like uh, Michael and Carly and... Um, Suzanne and a lot of the songs that uh, I just sounded so southern there for a second. A lot of songs <laughs> uh, that had uh, Matt Sharp and like the and or there were like Moog versions or Moog versions of some of the songs. I do think I really I think that Matt Sharp's contribution to the band was very very key in my enjoyment of it, and I feel like that stuff in um, in Pinkerton is my favorite. Like, I mean, I, I, I used to like learn all the keyboard lines for everything in it and just like play it on my Casio keyboard. I was very into that texture, that sound. Um, and then like bands like Ozma became my methadone after I was <laughs> not so into Weezer anymore, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think, so I like I like that sound a lot. I liked that it was cute, but kind of like menacing at the same time. Right. I felt, um, into that just mood overall. I like, you, um, can I just say quick, I love that you brought up Ozma because there's like so many Weezer dorks listening to this who are going to be really excited. Like, cause they're not, like, they're not uh, directly affiliated with Weezer, but they were like this. No. I don't know what you they, would call they them. They opened for them. Um, I feel like I, I feel like they opened for them. Did I see them open for them? I saw two shows of theirs and I feel like the second one Ozma opened for them, but I could be completely mistaken. Um, but they did at one point. But, I, um, but like the way but, you describe yeah. them, I think is perfect. Calling them the methadone uh, for uh, Weezer addicts, like when Weezer went away. I almost feel like that was their pitch to the record company. Like Weezer's oh, not totally, making records yeah. right now, so we're just going to make Weezer-like records for to satisfy these people because they're rabid fans yeah. and they they need something Weezer-like at this point. Yeah, there's that. I mean, I'm trying to think of other. That was definitely the biggest one. Um, I mean, like there's Reynolds too, but that's like, you know, doesn't really count. Um, and I mean, and then afterwards I, I was really like my, my favorite of those, that era of emo bands was the anniversary, which, uh, definitely utilized the Moog. So, <laughs> right. Were you a rentals fan? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love the rentals. Um, I never, I, I was not uh, as obsessive about them, but they were in rotation for sure. Yeah, the Matt Sharp thing, I feel like that's always, you know, there, there are different pivot points, I think, in Weezer's history where people drop off, and the first one is when Matt Sharp left. And yeah. there's the things you're talking about where the instrumental textures that he added. I also feel like like if you watch videos of Weezer in, in like the mid-'90s, like Matt Sharp mm -hmm. is easily the most charismatic person on stage. Yeah. Like he's doing... Like, he's such a goofball. He's a goof, he's jumping around. Like, he's doing windmills on the bass. It's like yeah. It's hard to look like you're doing a lot while playing a bass, but he's able <laughs> to look animated and like he's you know doing amazing things while playing bass lines. And it seems like when he left, um, they kind of lost that tension that you have when there's like one other person who's an important creative contributor. You know, now it's just like okay, it's solely Rivers Cuomo's band. From here right. On well, I think you know, like what you were saying earlier about a lot of people like not really sure how to peg Weezer genre wise or kind of feeling like they could have been a joke band or something. I think there's an assumption that like Rivers Cuomo is joking a lot as like a lyricist or a musician or whatever, a public figure to the extent that he is one. Um, but I feel like Matt Sharp was the bigger goof. And that was always like 
the leavening in Weezer. uh, And that's like why those albums didn't feel like bummers. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, yeah, I, again, like I just, I don't feel like, like Rivers is joking so much as like kind of throwing in the towel sometimes. And sometimes that just feels like the same thing. Well, but and and I mean, this is amazing. I was kind of getting at this earlier. I really feel like there is somewhat of a disconnect between people that discovered Weezer even just a couple years later versus people that heard those records when they came out. Because, um, and this is true for me even. Like it wasn't until mm-hmm. later where. I really noticed the sadness in a lot of those songs. I didn't necessarily notice it at the time. I think just because, mm-hmm. you know, when I would listen to Weezer, I would be watching their music videos, which were always kind of goofy, or I'd be listening to it in the car with my friends as we were, you know, just driving around on a Saturday night or something. Um, I wasn't necessarily the kid listening to Pinkerton with headphones alone in my room. Like, if, if yeah. that's how I had heard the record, I probably would have experienced it in a different kind of way. Um, that's why, like, at the time, like, kind of leading up to the Green Album, when there was all this anticipation for Weezer to come back, it, it kind of blew my mind that so many people, you know, that they had been recontextualized as, like, this emo band, as this sort of sad yeah. sack band, because they, they weren't that way to me, even though now when I hear those records, I can totally hear that stuff. But at the time... They, well, they were kind of, yeah, they were kind of out of step with that, like, out of time because of that gap. Like they got picked up and wrapped up into this other musical thing that was happening that they had nothing to do with. Like it always still kind of surprises me when there are certain songs where it very much is apparent that Weezer is a California band, which they've always been. But uh, I just always thought of them as being a Midwestern band because all the other bands I listened to at that time were Midwestern and had glasses and, you know, made poppy rock songs. Um, Yeah. So weird. What did you think? When Sorry, the, that was like a total tangent, but yeah. No, no, not at all. I, what did you think when the Green Album came out? Like, what was your impression of that? I was, <clears throat> I was extremely excited for the Green Album. Um, I feel like I think about the Green Album the same way I think about another highly anticipated uh, r- return of a franchise. I guess that was that happened the year before. Uh, which was uh, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Oh, I like this. Uh, I like this comparison. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I w- these are two of the most anticipated pieces of popular art that I remember looking forward to, and especially like kind of aided by the internet and being able to like look up news on them all the time. Um, and I think I had a similar way of processing them, where like I saw The Phantom Menace three times in theaters and was still like. No, 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 it's good. It's good. Guys, no, it's good. Like, because I couldn't, and I, I think that this is like a very common thing, theme in fandoms where you just don't want it. It's easier to pretend that something that you don't like as much is great than like to admit that you feel disappointed because then it's like a snowball of disappointment. Oh, yeah. Um, I think everyone, so has, I, everyone has at least one thing like that in their life where yes. mine was, would have been like Be Here Now, like the Oasis record. Uh, in 97 <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I was like I, this is going to be the, and it's like I, I, no I argued for years that that was the greatest album ever because I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to feel the disappointment of being let down it's like easier sometimes yeah. to delude yourself and say no I do like this because it's, it's just painful like it's, especially if you're at a certain age in your life yeah. and you're like oh I, just the crushing disappointment can be too much yeah yeah no it's 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 I think it, I I mean, it's something that I totally understand when you're younger and you're building your identity through things. Nowadays, when people are, are, you know, refuse to see any fault in the thing that they like now, you know, or if as an adult, then that always feels like a little bit more problematic. But yeah, no, I, I think I spent probably a few months listening to Green Album. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm going to bring it up again, because I was trying to remember what the songs on it were. Um, Well, you have a... Islands in the Sun. Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> Do you not like... Because I'll defend that song. And I actually like... No. That's the thing. <laughs> Everybody defends that song as like the... Well, at least it had Island on the Sun. Island on the Sun is like, a, is, is like air. There's like nothing... And not the French band air. <laughs> uh, like it's, it's, it's nothing of a song. Um, well, every song on that uh, record has the same formula where it's about two and a half minutes and then there's a guitar solo mm-hmm. that just repeats the melody mm-hmm. line. And then, you know, it, it's, I mean, I remember there was a, 
you know, the Rolling Stone did a profile of, of the band when that record came out, and there was like a Rivers Cuomo quote where he said something like, there's no emotion in these songs. And he, like, he meant that yeah. as like a good thing because he was so scarred yeah. by Pinkerton that he's like, no, I'm yes. just, it's like he, I think he had a book or something that broke down songwriting into like an equation. And oh he, he was just following this equation for writing songs. It was like, I'm like a songwriting factory. Uh, it's a Silicon Valley album. It's like <laughs> the algorithm. I mean, that's how it feels too. I mean, like, so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I still, some of these songs still creep back into my memory sometimes. Like, like knock down drag out like that that chorus is very catchy and sometimes it'll like drop into my head again for no reason not because i heard it anywhere because i don't i don't know where like they play island in the sun and like uh uh like a drugstore like in Dwayne reed or whatever uh i i don't know that i would ever hear knock down drag out in the wild but you know i you know i i do you know hash pipe is actually kind of okay i i could i could it's goofy and stupid and doesn't mean anything at all, but like it's sort of fun to listen to. Whereas Island in the Sun didn't like the Olsen twins use it in a movie or something. Um, oh man. Like it, it was like the, the song that was featured on it. I, I mean, that's, that's the level of song it is. I and, feel like it was probably in like one of those American pie movies at that point. Like it was, you know, yeah. Or hash pipe was I, I, like an American pie too. I bet it, it pops up in there somewhere. I mean, yeah, I would defend the green album on this level. I mean, you made a point, which I agree with that. Like, I think rivers Cuomo is, uh, in his, you know, in his, <laughs> milieu, in his milieu of like writing like guitar pop songs. Like he is, uh, maybe the best at it, at least in terms of just coming up with pure volume of hooks. Like if you sat him down yeah. and he could just bang out 10 songs in an hour, probably that were catchy, like he would be the world's greatest jingle writer, you know, if if, if he wanted to oh, do totally, that. Oh, totally, yeah. And I, and on that level, I can appreciate the like in a way it, it it raised my opinion of of him as a songwriter, just in the sense that like that album is pure craft. Like there is no heart in that record at all. It's just him, almost like he's writing songs for somebody else. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was almost like he handed it to like a Weezer cover band and said, "Okay, here's ten Weezer sounding songs." Uh, just, just play them. Yeah, it would have been better maybe if like Ozma had played that record. Yeah, and, and just called it like like Ozma plays the new Weezer record. Um, so I mean, like they're, they're but they're so skeletal even in terms of lyrics right. that like a cover of it would still feel so. It would feel like like I couldn't, you know. Now there are those um, like acoustic covers that are like like the yoga cover of like every every song ever. Like I heard one for like teenage like. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's a like Spotify genre of like coffee oh, yeah. shop acoustic versions <laughs> right, of yeah. things. Yeah, totally. I heard one for Teenage Dirtbag the other day or like a few weeks ago. And I was like, okay, well now, now they've done them all. They've done it for every single song. But like if you did that for like, I don't know, Crab or something, it would it would still be ridiculous. Like there's there, – because the lyrics are, are nothing. Um and there was like I, I their lyrics have always been kind of weird, but at least they felt like they were kind of about something before. And these feel like they were not. These feel like they were written by a bot. Um, like what if they were very? What if they went the other way though, and not the acoustic version, but they did like EDM versions of these songs, where it was just pure melody and sensation. That would work actually. Like and still use the like power chords and everything. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. That I could see a lot easier. Or or, like, maybe Ozma does a, a cover of them, but then kind of in the way that, like, like the Cat Power covers album worked, where, like, she did a cover, but it was also, like, there, there was, like, some stuff that she added to some songs right. or kind of completely took them apart. Like, if Ozma did that with these songs and, like, added lyrics or parts of the song even... I would be interested in that. That might actually sound more like a, a real Weezer song add, or a real Weezer album. Right. Add more Moog in there or something, you know? Yes. That would have worked. I, I, I don't yeah. know if this is going to happen at this point, though. I don't know how much demand there is in 2017 for an Ozma cover of the Green <laughs> Album. But, you know, if there's a time machine that we can get into, maybe so they could have done that in 2001 or two or something. <laughs> uh, so, I, I realized I said it was a year before the Phantom Menace came out, but it was, it was two, two years, almost to the day. Because this came out on May fifteenth, two thousand one, and, and Phantom Menace came out on May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. So, I was, but still, 
Yeah, very, well, very anticipated, hyped things. It felt like that. I, you know, what would be the Jar Jar Binks of the Green Album, I wonder? If, if we can extend this analogy even more. Well, whoever they're like, the, whoever the fourth Weezer is, like, who rotated a bunch, I remember around that. <laughs> oh, yeah, like um, the bass player. They just have different bass players. Yeah. Um, that's like, yeah, that's like their, their we're going to try this guy out and see if he sells toys type thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't remember, but they had some guy from, oh, God, I'm total, I'm, I'm blanking. Who's the guy who, who was ba- the bassist for, um, for Green Album. I think there's like some weird metal guy who was on one of them. Well, uh, it was Mikey Welch, I think, played on the Green Album and then he ended up uh, passing oh, right. away, I think, a couple of years later. Because I think he played on Saturday Night Live with them. Like Weezer was on yes, SNL. Yes, that's right. Okay. So I was thinking of a post Green Album then because there is like a, a an interesting murderer's row of different bases that they would bring on for like a year at a time. So, uh, so like, I know you said earlier that like Maladroit was like the last album that you bought. Like, is that because you didn't really like that album or, I mean, cause like Maladroit, I feel like is maybe the last Weezer record that I think is legitimately really good. Like, I think it's better than the green album. Um, I would put it with the first two and then after that, it's like you have to judge them on a different scale. Like if you if you if you're gonna still care about Weezer, but Maladroit, I would actually yeah. put with. It's not as good as the first two, but it's better than the third, and I think it's like a worthy fourth album. But how do I you think feel about it's that? better than it's better than the Green album. I think though it was very apparent that he was just not interested in lyrics anymore and that was the thing that I got into Weezer for in a very simplistic you know scrawl on the inside of your notebook way um and this was also I don't know this was I remember buying this they were doing like limited edition stampings on it and I actually got one of those um like whatever like the first um I don't know 100,000 or something you mean like with the the number on the back yeah yeah Yeah, I got one of those too Um, I think yeah, I think I got it at a Target. I was very concerned about it, too. I remember still caring a lot because I was like, I want to make sure that I get one of these stamped ones. But then I listened to the record itself probably like five times. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. There was There were so many other bands at that point that were doing more for me. Even in that same, like, I mean, I was listening to more different kinds of music at that time, too. And then also just if, if you just want to talk about like, emo guitar rock like i don't know i feel like there were lots of better options there as well um so i just felt like maybe they were less essential to me and yeah this is so interesting i feel like this is like the beginning of me really trying to like really getting used to the thing of like well i'll I'll always have those things like those those you know couple albums that i loved I can really, you know, I don't need to feel like I need to get that out of each subsequent thing, which has been both like good and bad. And as far as me being a cover of culture, because sometimes I'm like under hyped about things that I should be more hyped for. So, uh, so you mean like you don't feel as passionate maybe as you did when you, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a common yeah. thing. I, you know, for your own mental health, you can't be as passionate yes. about things as you were at 14 or 15. You know, if, if you if you feel that way as an adult, it I think it's just too much too much feelings. Oh no, you have to. You but have I to, think at that time I was just also like there was a lot of stuff that. Oh, what was this? 2000, 2002. Oh yeah, it was like the next year. So it took like no time also to put this out, and I think I was very. Uh, I think there was the anticipation wasn't also like the anticipation hadn't built up in the way that it had for Green Album, so it was also like. I'm still processing the fact that Green Album exists. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably not listening to it as much anymore, but I'm still like, oh, yeah, there's a new Weezer album. Because, I don't know, feel it feels like time moved slower then or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, I don't know. I So I had kind of, I didn't really have as much energy to get super excited about this one. Um, God, and what were the single... Yeah. Dope nose, <laughs> right? This, I don't even remember how dope nose goes. This dope nose, whoa, whoa! <laughs> it's like that, I think. Oh yeah, well, it's like it's like the hash pipe of this 
album. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, totally. I mean, right. and then, you know, a couple years later, they put out Make Believe and the, the single Beverly Hills where they're frolicking. Beverly Hills. They're, they're at the Playboy Mansion. And that. I had a friend who was an extra in that video. Really? That was, yeah. Any and good I was anecdotes? like, wow, well, any everything good, comes full circle. Any good Oops. anecdotes from that experience? I don't know. I don't, I don't really remember. Uh, I, I feel like it was kind of embarrassing at the time, <laughs> but <laughs> which, th- which, you know, credit to the director, if it was embarrassing on the set, he really communicated that in the video because I, I, I felt the yeah. embarrassment from afar watching it. I mean, make believe was definitely another pivot point for them where I feel like a lot of people dropped off. Although I do know younger people who that's where they came in. Like they, you know, people who were maybe well, 14. that was a pretty big song for them at that point. Like, right. it was, it was played a lot. I, it was, you know, it was on. Well, they'll always play Weezer on K Rock, but, uh, but it was definitely in rotation on like the radio. I remember. So, so like you know, now like when you look back, like, do you still listen to those albums at all? Like, what are your feelings on that now? Like when you hear that stuff. Um, my biggest relationship to Weezer now, like I alluded to earlier, is karaoke. Uh, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. They're not, you don't necessarily always hear Weezer karaoke, but they are a pretty big, like, Say It Ain't So is a pretty big staple. And I do a lot of karaoke, so I'm bound to hear it a few times a year or do it myself. Um, so Say It Ain't So yeah. is, is your go-to for Weezer for karaoke? Yeah, that's that's... Probably my top one. Um, fewer places have Pinkerton, but if they do, I'll do um, I'll do the Good Life. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I did I did uh, I did El Scorcho at a karaoke booth in Japan last year. That was very fun. Uh, I, I would never sing El Scorcho, but then I was just like, you know, let's just bring this all home. Let's just <laughs> uh, just do the thing uh, to its fullest extent. Um, but yeah, now I feel like. I mean, I was saying, I was, uh, yeah, I, I feel like when we did that blue album thing for Grantland and then I was very, like, I, I was interested in, you know, writing about them or, you know, interviewing, I still would like totally interview Rivers. Like that's a, a dream that I have kept since those early days. Um, I would, I would, you know. I think it would be fascinating, even if he said, if he, if he, gave, he gave me nothing, um, it would just be a, it would be one of those bucket list experiences. Um, He's definitely one of those nineties people that whenever I meet other people like around my age, like you can talk about Rivers Cuomo. And even if people haven't listened to Weezer for a while, like he's an interesting person mm-hmm. to contemplate. And, uh, yes. and like, I would love, I, and I'm with you. I've never interviewed him. I know people that have interviewed oh, yeah. him and I'm, he follows me on Twitter. So, and which follows me on Twitter too. See, and that I, was very exciting. I was still excited. See, <laughs> I felt very validated by that. That was like one of the big, and he follows, I think like a lot of people, but yeah, yeah, definitely. still. And I don't even know if it's actually him. I think he does tweet actually. Uh, he has like weird things where he'll ask people to, it's like, Hey, I'm going to Shakespeare in the park. Does anyone want to go? Like he'll do stuff like that. Like just bizarre things. He has a Japanese account too. I follow both of them. Uh, I don't, I, I like get he tweets in Japanese. Yeah. Oh, I it's like rivers that. Cuomo underscore JPN. Um, yeah. I, like, I mean, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like for you, when you first got into Weezer, like was river, did you look at rivers Cuomo as like, a potential friend or a potential boyfriend? Like, did you have a crush a on boyfriend, him? Boyfriend, 100%. He was, he was, the, he was uh, our Justin Bieber for like my <laughs> little group of weird, you know, art club high school girls. Um, I mean, I 100% tried to sneak backstage at a Weezer show um, in Kansas City. I, and uh, I, I, it was, a, it, it was something I was like so determined to do. And then I feel like I'm trying to remember if this is, now this is a story. Oh no, I think somebody else I know did get backstage at one point, but like didn't stay or like got kicked out or something and like just saw him like playing soccer with his wife or girlfriend or whoever it was. And they're like, Oh, he's like a married man. Like <laughs> you realize like, Oh, he's not like a teen idol. He's like a, he's like a grown up. <laughs> he's um, yeah, I don't know. But I, I totally, yeah, and, and I say Justin Bieber because I think it's a similar kind of crush because he is non-threatening. 
um, despite the dark content of his lyrics, but as like a figure, like he's like short, uh, that, like that early look of like the sweater and the glasses and the kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how you describe the haircut. It's not, he had a bowl cut at first, but it was like post the bowl cut. Right. Um, when he's sort of like a thinking, yeah, woman, like a thinking woman's sex symbol or thinking person's sex symbol in a way. I guess so, but like honestly, it shouldn't be like if you're over the age of eighteen and you had a crush on Rivers Cuomo. I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, that's like it, <laughs> it's just it was very specifically teenage, and and um, I think also like I think at that time also we were into Rushmore and he kind of looked like Jason Schwartzman oh, yeah. in Rushmore. So there was this kind of like nerdy sad sack, emotional sad sack that was, I don't know, cute to us or something. Well, like, and you, and you, said, and you, you kind of said this earlier. I mean, that was sort of the golden age of like the nerdy soulful person before you realize, Oh yeah, that guy is actually a sociopath or he can be a sociopath. Yeah. That can be a shield. Like at the time it was sort of like, Oh, they're harmless. And, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, no. Like, at least he's not doing heroin. Uh, <laughs> no, but he, or, is on, you know, but he is on message boards saying terrible things about yeah. people. You I didn't mean, know that yet. We, we were deluded back then. We didn't know. We thought, oh, they're just sweet. I mean, can you imagine now if it's some, and I guess it wouldn't be Rivers now, but somebody of Rivers' stature in the mid-90s went to Harvard and, like, just existed as a college student, was he there for grad school or was he just getting his degree there? I think he's uh, just in his degree. I think he just okay. decided yeah, that he th- wanted to go to Harvard. Yeah. And he's like this kind of savant. So he could probably just go wherever he wanted that. And that, yeah, and that totally like feeds into the Silicon Valley thing and the formula thing for the songs. Like he's such a like egghead. And I, yeah, at a certain point I was like no longer interested in artists that were like that, but, or like I couldn't get passionate about them, but, um, but yeah, can you, I mean, like, I can't imagine somebody like that just existing on a college campus now and not winding up in some really embarrassing situation that, like, Twitter would explode over. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, or to genuinely but, disappear, too. Like, you know, we're... Yeah, that too. At the time, yeah, if you were a Weezer fan, it's like, I like, what happened to Rivers Cuomo? I, I didn't even know the thing about the leg surgery at the time. I think that was, like, even that, even that amount of information was, you know, really hard to come by. You know, you had to wait, you know, several years. It was yeah. so like, oh, he just went into a black hole. Um, yeah, I think that there was less information as it was happening. But by the time I was on, like, when I was on the fan boards and stuff like that, that had all been cataloged. There was, like, you know, wikis of information about what was going on with various people at different times and stuff. Yeah, um, there were spies yeah. on the ground tracking Rivers Cuomo. yeah. So I feel like that's the other thing I was going to say about my current relationship to Weezer. This isn't like current, current, but <laughs> I have met people who were on that board at the same time, which is very funny now. I mean, like, I don't think we remember each interacting with each other, but it was like we were in that. It's very rare now that I think you're, you meet somebody that you were, you shared an internet space with, uh, kind of pre social media. Right. So I thought that was, that seems so innocent now. It seems so yes. long ago. It's like, it was like an, you know, it was still the same internet, but not really. I mean, that is, uh, no. th- th- that, that social media is like a before and after moment. Yeah. Uh, think about that. Well, I, you know, I feel like after this podcast, Rivers Cuomo should let one of us interview him, you know, and maybe together, oh my God. but you know, cause he I follows, he follows both of us. He's going to see this link. So Rivers, hopefully you're listening to this podcast. Like let one of us interview you. Like we've been waiting 25 years almost <laughs> at this point. Be, See, like this is wild. my way of turning the tables on on a potentially like in a potentially creepy situation. It's like, no, I'm the person who's been like like lightly stalking Rivers Cuomo since I was 14, and now I'm like, I really want to interview you. Like, just you know, gender reverse it, and it's fine. But <laughs> well, exactly, and you hold the power of the media now, so you can kind of. Yeah. And he he needs press attention. He's a 40 something year old rocker not a you know not the kind of person that gets a ton of media attention anymore so you can leverage that to your advantage or to my advantage so rivers call one of us have the publicist hook up an interview please we've been any editors out there let me know if you if you needed a a (laughs) eight thousand words on rivers cuomo i'm here for you (laughs) (laughs) well well, emily this was fun i i appreciate you coming on and uh and talking to me about this yeah 
Yeah. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. That was me and Emily talking about Weezer. That was a really great conversation. Emily is such a smart person. She had a lot of great things to say. Hopefully, I can get her to come back on the podcast at some point. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, I just want to tell you about a couple things that I have on uprocks.com. Last week, I wrote about a band. It's probably my new favorite band. They're from Australia. They're called Gang of Youths. They put out a record earlier this year. I slept on it when it came out, and uh, it's uh, really become one of my favorite albums of 2016. I wrote about it, and uh, that album is called, of course, Go Farther in Lightness. Uh, the band's called Gang of Youths. I wrote about them on uprocks.com. Um, I also wrote a thing about Beck. Beck put out a record earlier this month called Colors. You probably didn't even notice that it came out. It kind of came and went <laughs> and disappeared. And I wrote about how, um, you know, Beck in the 90s was considered maybe the most innovative musician of his era, but now he seems like an afterthought. And I, I wanted to write about why that is. You know, why does Beck seem so inessential in 2017? Uh, so you can check those two pieces out at uprocks.com. Um, otherwise, guys, thank you for, for listening to this episode. Uh, again, you know, we wouldn't have a show without you. So thank you for your support. Thank you for talking about us on social media or leaving a review for us on iTunes. All these things, they, uh, they help grow the podcast and uh, ensure that we can continue to do what we do every week. So I appreciate all of that from you guys. All right, guys. Well, thank you again. We will uh, talk to you again next week.